You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Motley Fool Money co-host Dylan Lewis here. If you're listening to us, it's because you love following the stock market and learning about business stories. If you're looking to keep learning and unlocking your potential, then you should check out the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast produced by our friends over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning best business podcast that's received nearly 43 million downloads and is the number one career podcast in 95-plus countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills, from making small talk that leaves a big impression, to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, Strong communication skills are important in business and life in general. That's why you'll hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, as well as speechwriter, best-selling author, and friend of the fool Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. All that and so much more available on the Think Fast Talk Smart podcast. So what are you waiting for? Listen every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. I'm your host, Jean Chatsky. As we head into autumn, it feels like it's just back to school, everything, everywhere. Families with school-aged children are now all stocked up on pens and pencils and notebooks and computers, of course. Does anybody even use pens and pencils and notebooks anymore? And Those of us with kids in college have already made the big dorm move. As a mom myself, I know how hard those big goodbyes can be, especially that first one, and I'm thinking of you. When it comes to ensuring that our kids have the best education and college experience possible, arguably one of the biggest hurdles we face is the financial one, how to pay for college. But as parents, we're not alone in our concerns. According to Fidelity's 2021 College Savings and Student Debt Study, Gen Z is growing incredibly wary of the high price tag for college, with 4 in 10 rating cost as the most important factor in their college choice. And more than half say that getting a job that pays enough to support their long-term goals is among their top priorities, which is wonderful, but it also makes it clear that the cost of college is weighing heavily on everyone. At the very same time, it's unclear whether we truly understand how much college will really cost. The Fidelity study showed a staggering disconnect between expectations of costs and reality. On average, high school parents expect the average annual cost of college to be around $22,000 for tuition, room and board, books, and fees. But even for a public in-state four-year college, in reality, that number is closer to $27,000. In other words, it's $5,000 higher, according to data from the college board. What's more, 37% of high school parents confess they simply haven't started saving for their child's education just yet. And 
Nearly a third of recent college grads say they don't know how long it will take to repay their loans. Again, this is data from the New Fidelity study. It's clear we've got some really big question marks around paying for college, which is why we wanted to do this special mailbag edition to answer some of your most pressing questions on the topic. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions via our private Her Money Facebook group and our email address, which is mailbag at hermoney.com. And by the way, you can join that group at any time and you can email anytime you have a financial question for us to tackle. Today, to handle these mailbag questions, I'm so thrilled to be joined by a special guest. Rita Asaf is Vice President, Retirement and College Leadership at Fidelity Investments, and she's going to help me get through all of your questions. Hey, Rita, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So let's just dive in because we've got a bundle, okay? Sounds great. The first question comes from Cassandra, and she writes, Hey, Jean and team, I am 27 years old and on track to finish paying off my student loans in the next few months, about six years after graduating from college. I originally had over $26,000 in student loans. I'm really proud of this accomplishment, and I see it as a big life milestone that I want to celebrate. Not to mention, I'm grateful for the boost to my credit score that these consistent payments have provided. I want to treat myself to some sort of a gift to mark the accomplishment, but it also seems counterintuitive to spend money on celebrating taking control of my finances, and I know that being debt-free is a gift in and of itself. Do you have any suggestions of something special I could do for myself to celebrate while still sticking with the good financial habits I've built? Thank you so much much. Well, Cassandra, I just have to say this is amazing. Six years is really, really fast to have knocked out that much in student loan debt. And I think that you definitely deserve a celebration. I'm going to mull it for a minute. I'm going to ask Rita for her thoughts and then I'll weigh in. I echo that. That's a huge accomplishment. I want to say huge congratulations to Cassandra. And you're absolutely right to want to celebrate this moment. The good news is you're already thinking about it in the right way, taking some of your discretionary dollars to celebrate without jeopardizing other financial goals. And one of the things that we hear consistently from people who are successful at achieving their financial goals is that it's important to take a minute to celebrate and even reward important milestones, especially paying off your student debt. That is a huge moment. So depending on your situation and how much you'd like to spend, you could consider a dinner out with friends, a weekend getaway, one of my favorites, a day at the spa, or even just some retail therapy. I think the most important thing to really determine is isolate what you'll want to celebrate. So you're giving yourself a much deserved treat without staying in celebration mode indefinitely. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's that last point, Rita, that's resonating so much with me. I think about this kind of like retiring a car payment, which is not at all the same thing in terms of celebration, right? It feels like such a big deal to pay off your student loans and paying off your car is nice, but maybe not such a huge victory. But when you retire a car payment and you're keeping the car, the question is, all right, so now I have this 400 bucks every month that I'm no longer putting toward my car payment. What do I want to do with that money? 
And so, Cassandra, I want to see you do two things. I want to see you make a list of what would feel like a celebration to you. I mean, maybe it is a weekend getaway if you feel like you want to travel someplace. Maybe it is that you've been, I don't know, feeling like you've been living with your college furniture for such a long time that your apartment could just use a little zhuzhing. Figure out what it is that's going to feel victorious to you and put a number with it and then try to limit your celebration to that number. Move the money into a separate account where it is your celebration money and once it's gone, it's gone. But then think about what do you want to do with that student loan payment that you're no longer making every single month? What's the next goal on your list? Is it buying a house? Is it making up ground on retirement? Is it something else entirely? I don't know, and only you can know. But let's be very, very intentional about what we want our money to do for us next. And good luck. I think it sounds really exciting. I hope you'll take a picture of your celebration and send it to us. Post it in the Facebook group so that we can see what you ended up deciding. That'll be fun for all of us. Our next question comes from Maria, and she writes, Dear Jean, I have a freshman entering college. When he was born, my father said he was going to pay for his college and opened up a Florida prepaid tuition plan. The way the plan works is if you go to school in Florida, it pays the rate in full. If you go to college somewhere else, you get the Florida per credit hour rate, which is quite low. About 10 years ago, we moved and my son is now attending school in Colorado where we live. When we moved, I discussed the agreement I had with my dad with my financial advisor, and she suggested he set up a 529 account to fund the difference, which I discussed with my father. My father wasn't too interested in that. He said he could just pay for the difference, and he has quite ample means, so I found no reason not just to take him at his word. Fast forward to today, and we will owe about $16,000 each year from my son's college, and my father has told me that he's decided I need to have skin in the game, so he's only paying $8,000. Right now, I should be able to pay the $8,000 from my emergency fund in the spring without a problem, but in the years to come, I'm wondering, what's the best way to plan for college while we're in college. Since my needs are immediate, I don't see the advantage of a 529. I was considering taking the money from my Roth IRA where I have about $100,000, but since the market's doing well, I felt better to leave it there and possibly refinance my house if necessary. I was thinking I could set up a savings account just for college like I've always done in the past with his school and fund it from there. I don't want to strap my son with debt for school, partly because I know how hard it is to get out from under, but also because he additionally had the expectation that his grandfather was going to pay for it. We currently have about $1,100,000 in total retirement savings. Current contributions are 12% of my husband's income, and his employer makes a 9% contribution. We owe $316,000 on a house that's valued about $700,000, but I have no other debt. I'm 53 and my husband is 54. He makes about $130,000 a year, and I'm expecting to make at least $85,000 this year. 
Also, I hope that my story can be a cautionary tale. If there's a promise made by anyone else, even a grandparent, for college funds, you really need to see the paperwork and the accounts to ensure the money is there. I am both a hard worker and saver and would have made different choices and saved accordingly had I not trusted my father on his word. Thank you so much. Wow. Well, this is a tough situation, Maria. And thank you so much for sharing all of the details with us. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with prepaid tuition plans, they're another sort of 529, but they're very, very state specific. And that Florida plan is a great one, but it's only a great one if you go to school in Florida. And as you learned, it can be much more expensive if you go elsewhere. I've got my thoughts on how I think that you should do this. But before I kick them in, Rita, what are you thinking? Yeah, this is definitely a tricky situation, but I can't imagine that you're alone. Every family dynamic is different. And especially when extended families and finances come together, there's always a risk of miscommunication or potential letdown. But that said, your question of how to address college costs while your child is in college is something many families face. Sometimes life gets in the way of saving And there's just simply isn't time to make up the difference. So I think what you're doing sounds right in terms of considering all the right options to cut down costs for your son's education, like considering on-campus employment, especially if it comes with tuition remission or even free room and board. I would say before you dip into any retirement savings or even refining your house, you might want to speak with the school and financial aid office to understand what other options may exist. Living through the pandemic has changed many families' financial situation, so it's important to consider all your options and what the college may offer to help address exactly this type of situation. I would also say talk to your son. It may make sense for him to live at home for a semester or two after a difficult year. Our children are way more resilient than we think, and being upfront in the situation could not only help in the immediate term, but also help him learn healthy habits about honest communication around money that will be useful for him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I totally agree that you should have a discussion about this. A discussion without scaring him and a discussion without without trying to put more of this burden on him than you clearly want to put on his plate. I mean, it's very, very clear from your letter that you've decided that you don't want him to incur debt for his college education. Now, that said, there are two different ways that I would probably look at going about this. The first is to just take a really good hard look at your budget. It sounds like you are at your age more than on track for your retirement savings. And one thing that you may want to consider is soft peddling your contributions to retirement in order to make up this $8,000 gap for college. I'm not suggesting that you pull money out of your retirement funds, and I'm not even suggesting that you pull money out of your Roth. What I'm saying is maybe contribute a little bit less for retirement during these college years in order to make up this difference. And then once your son is out of college, which is only a three-year, four-year time horizon, then you'll be able to just go full speed ahead on that. The second thing that I would look at is the possibility of having your son take out federal student loans. The Stafford loan is available at a very reasonable interest rate 
every student will qualify. You do have to fill out the FAFSA, but you could repay his loans on the back end. And that might be a less expensive way of going about this than doing anything else. If you're looking at the Stafford loan, I'd compare that cost of borrowing to the cost of taking a home equity line of credit and just see where the numbers shake out there. Depending on whether or not you itemize, there is some tax benefit available for that HELOC still. So that may make additional sense for you. And the last thing that I would say is don't take the 529 off the table so fast. You may be eligible for some sort of estate tax deduction just for flowing money through your 529 college savings plan. So make sure that you're looking at all of those options before you look at the numbers. I sense that emotionally, this is a tougher question than it is financially. Your father disappointed you. There is absolutely no doubt that your father disappointed you. And I gotta say, I really don't like the skin in the game line. And it's just my thinking. If he were unable to afford to make good on the promise that he made to you, that would be one thing. But it seems like he's trying to teach you a lesson and that's just not sitting so well with me. So I am heartened by the fact that it does seem like you can afford to do this and that once you get your son through college, out of college, into the job market, you can look back on this and not worry about the financial ramifications. We're taping this episode the week of Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. And I only bring that up because in the New York Times, a rabbi named David Wolpe wrote a beautiful piece on what it really means to forgive, what it really means to let go of something that is truly bothering you. Look it up. His name is spelled W-O-L-P-E. I don't want to see your relationship with your dad be impacted long-term because of this. When families fight over money, sometimes it gets really ugly really fast. Just give it a read and see if you can let it sink in and see if maybe long-term you can let this go. Our next question comes from Catherine, and she writes... My daughter, who is a junior in high school, has been doing remote school like the rest of the country for nearly the last two years. She doesn't hate it like some of her friends, but she definitely doesn't enjoy it. And I've begun to worry that the whole experience is souring her perspective on learning or at least altering her perspective on what the college experience might be like. She's hinted that she might not even want to go to college, and we've encouraged her to take whatever path feels right to her. But we have around $30,000 saved in a 529, and I'm not sure what to do with it if she decides not to attend school. Other than acting as a psychic and telling me what my daughter may be thinking about college, can you tell me what I should do with the money in the event that she doesn't go? Also, I want to save more for her in the next year and a half leading up to college. What other vehicles are out there for saving and how much more should we try to save? I just got a raise and our house and cars are fully paid off so we have a nice runway to be able to set aside another $30,000 or so. Thanks so much for your great advice. 
that helps elevate women. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for writing. I'm not a psychic. I don't play one on TV, but maybe Rita is a psychic. So Rita, what do you think? Oh, sadly, I'm also not a psychic, but I think we have to just say that kids have been through a lot when it comes to remote learning during the pandemic. So it's really not surprised that your daughter is feeling a bit of a burnout. And while it might be tempting for her to put off college, it's still important to know that long-term, those with a college degree tend to have a better financial outlook and even healthier outlook than those without one. So you might want to spend this year considering what her post-high school years could look like. And it may not be a traditional four-year college experience. Maybe she might consider taking a few community college classes. That would at least give her an option to transfer credits once she decides on a path forward. Specifically to your 529, the good news is that 529s provide more flexibility than I think many people realize. You can transfer any unused dollars to a relative of the beneficiary for educational expenses. So that means it could be a cousin. Actually, it could be yourself if you don't have any siblings. So you can use the money for certain apprenticeship costs as well. And if your daughter decides to take a semester off or just take time off, the good news is there's really no expiration date on the savings that you put in. It will still be there waiting for her. A hundred percent. And I'm just thinking that she's been cooped up I think there are an awful lot of kids who are in need of a gap year right now to just get their heads on straight. And maybe she'll have to wait a little bit on that. Of course, we all are feeling like we have to wait for the Delta variant to clear out of our system and for travel to be safe again before we can go ahead and do that. But I encouraged both of my kids to take a gap year. Neither, for the record, listen to me. But going and traveling and working might enable her to figure out what she likes rather than what she doesn't like. I always come back to my father's experience. And my grandmother used to say that she spent more time in my father's high school than he did because he just didn't go to school very often. And he got out of high school. He was not headed for college. He he floundered around for a while working in real estate. Eventually, the Army got him. And it was in the Army that he learned that he had a passion for radio. And when he got back from the army, he enrolled in school to learn communications, and he was a straight-A student for the first time in his life. Sometimes that's what it takes. We can't really, especially now, be on anybody else's clock. And so sometimes just giving yourself the time and the space and the energy to figure out something that you like to do can inspire you to figure out a path to learn more about whatever that thing is and make it a career. I think based on your letter, Catherine, you're just a wonderful parent that you're going to give your daughter the space that she needs for this and not just push, push, push into four-year school. As far as where you should put the additional money, I'd just put it in a savings account or a brokerage account. I'd put it in a savings account if you think it's for a short-term use. I'd put it in a brokerage account if you think it's for longer-term use. And if your daughter is working and has any sort of income, I would take whatever income she's got and put that amount of money into a Roth IRA up to the cap because it's flexible, just like a 529, as Rita said, in terms of getting that money out. And it's also really wonderful from a tax and growth perspective. 
Hey everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning Best Business Podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills, from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobier. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. I'm back with Rita Ossoff, squad leader for retirement and college leadership at Fidelity Investments. We're answering all of your paying for college questions. This one comes from Ted. Hi, Jean and team. I am a longtime listener, but a first-time writer, and I wanted to thank you for a wonderful podcast. Thanks to your advice three years ago, I was able to work my way up from a position paying $75,000 a year to one paying $120,000 a year. Woohoo on that. A victory I'd only ever dreamed of allowed me to start saving for my children's college educations. My son is eight, my daughter's 11. Unfortunately, about a year into COVID, my company had a round of layoffs and asked others to take a salary cut. I was one of the ones who received a salary cut and my salary went down to $80,000. My partner, who's in the hospitality industry, also lost pay during this time, so our little family really had to cut back to the necessities and college contributions went right out the window. Fast forward to today, my partner has a wonderful new job and our take-home pay is almost where it was pre-COVID. My first question is, once I get over the frustration of having lost nearly two years' time to save for college, I've got to get back on track with savings. Where does one even start when they feel like they're making up for lost time? And then my second question is, if we can't get our college savings to where we want them to be, are loans really going to hurt our children's futures irreparably? There are so many scary stories about student debt out there that have me worried, but I know my partner and I can't realistically pay 100% for two college educations. Thank you so much. So Rita, let me weigh in on the first part, and then I'm going to let you weigh in on the second and, and the first two, if you want. Ted, we control what we can control. We cannot control the fact that we were in a pandemic. You cannot control the fact that the hospitality industry just was racked with layoffs and closures and pain. 
And when we allow ourselves to just wrap our arms around the fact that there are certain things that we can't control, it allows us to focus on those things that we can. So just let go of that frustration. This was not your fault. There is no blame here. There is no shame here. You just got to let it go. And then you start. And where one starts is where you are. And the reason for that is that's the only place that you can start. So tactically, Rita, what do you think they should do? Well, first of all, I just want to say kudos to Ted that him and his family are feeling much more financially sound than you did during the height of the pandemic. That's fantastic. And I think the good news is that your children's ages leave you a good amount of time to get your savings back on track. I would say one idea that is helpful is to save while you're spending. So there are reward cards that offer cash back that can go directly into a 529, for example, or you could put that cash back into a college savings account. Another idea I'd offer is to ask family and friends to gift to a child's 529 instead of regular gifts for holidays or birthdays. This is interesting because gifting has actually grown in the last few years for 529. Anyone can contribute to it. And it's something that's what people feel that they're giving as part of the future for that child. And I would add automate contributions. So you save a little bit each month, which is just a little bit more without even thinking about the money. Those small contributions add up and automating the process makes it so that you're not really even aware that you're saving. I'd say second part to that question, especially with student loans, are that student loans are definitely scary, especially when you see them in the headlines today. When you're doing the right thing by saving what you can and when you can, but the fact is it is really difficult to fund college 100%. That's just likely not going to happen for a lot of families. So most families pay for college through a blend of savings, scholarships or grants, and their income while their children are in college, as well as loans. I think the most important thing to really think about with student loans is that you want to make sure both you and your children understand what the interest rate really means and how long it could take to pay off those loans. Student loans do carry lower interest rates than, say, a loan that you might take out. So it's really important to kind of do your research and understand what those could look like and understand what the monthly payments would look like within your budget. Absolutely. And I would also just say you are at the point where you have time to really cast a very, very wide net on the college search. You're not there. You're not even close yet. So make sure you talk to your kids about the fact that their job is to just do well at whatever they are putting their energies toward. That could be school, but it's also potentially a musical instrument. Maybe it's the drama club. Maybe it's some other activity or passion. And then when you go to apply for schools, make sure that A, you fill out the FAFSA. A lot of people just say, oh, I'm never going to qualify, and they don't fill it out. And by doing so, they leave a lot of aid on the table. And then you cast a very, very wide net for schools because what you want to find are schools that want your kids to attend so much that they will reduce the sticker price and make it much more affordable. It happens every day, but you have to be very, very smart about the way that you approach the process. And I think you're totally on the right track. Our next question comes from Katie, and she writes, Hi, Her Money team. 
I don't plan on having kids, but I potentially want to help my nieces, who are two and four, pay for college. I've heard differing opinions over the years on the best way to do that. What type of accounts should I choose? I'm not sure if their parents have set up 529s for them, but I can find out. If so, would that be the best place for me to contribute? You're nodding, Rita. What do you think? Well, first of all, you sound like a pretty great aunt, and those are some lucky nieces. But yeah, you're already on the right first step to find out if their parents have set up 529 accounts, because you can actually easily gift to those accounts, either on special occasions or an ongoing basis. And even if they haven't set them up, this might be the motivation to have them set them up. Or if they haven't, you can actually set them up for them. And that might help just in terms of long-term, just knowing that their auntie is going to contribute to those 529s. Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of watch it with the ownership of those 529 plans. The rules are changing, but there are different rules depending on who owns the plan. So if a parent owns the plan or the child owns the plan, it's treated as if the child owns the plan. And from financial aid perspectives, that's preferable from the financial aid formulas. If you own the account, you may not want to dip into it until junior year of college for the purposes of maximizing the amount of aid that those students receive down the road. Now, granted, your nieces are two and four. We've got a lot of time. And should you decide down the road that you want to transfer ownership of the account to your siblings, you can 100% do that as well. But I think a regular contribution to a 529 or a contribution on a birthday or at the holidays is a wonderful, wonderful way to go. We're going to do one more here, Rita, and our last question comes to us from Emily, and she writes, Hi, Hermione. Right now, I'm projecting that I will have enough saved to cover all college expenses for my child, which is so amazing. But my big question is, how do I keep my child engaged? If college to them is a completely free experience, will they value it as much? I guess I'm feeling like I want my child to have some skin in the game, but I don't want them to take on debt when I've saved to avoid that. Thank you. Well, there is that phrase again, Rita, but used in an entirely different context, and I have an entirely different feeling about it this time around. What are you thinking? Well, first off, congratulations on this huge savings milestone. It doesn't happen often, and it's a cause for celebration. And I'd say you're right to consider the question of how you'll talk finances with your child so they appreciate the value of hard-earned savings and all the work you put into it. But I would say as your child approaches college, maybe while they're in high school or even middle school, start having conversations with them about what interests they would like to pursue in college, what types of jobs they anticipate having, and how different types of colleges could cost. There is a huge difference in price between private four-year schools and public in-state colleges, not to mention community colleges. So having transparent conversations about these subjects as your child gets older will help them to understand that college isn't free and the cost should be a factor in their choice of where to pursue education. Can we just talk about pizza and beer for a second? Of course. I mean, pizza and beer, right? Pizza and beer (laughs) or pizza and Diet Coke, whatever it is you're drinking, those things are not free. And as a mother of two kids who have recently completed college. I mean, one of the things that's really surprising is no matter how much you save for college, even if you have enough to cover tuition, room and board, 
maybe even books, there are other expenses. And what my parents did was say, those other expenses are on you. I mean, they were very determined that we were not coming out of college with debt. And they, bless them, went to incredible lengths to make that happen. And I am grateful for that every single day, particularly as we do shows like this. But they also didn't say you don't have any responsibility. They said you have responsibility for all the extras. And extras in that case included books. It included pizza and beer. It included entertainment, different things that I wanted to do with my friends, different activities that I wanted to pursue. Maybe your child will decide that they want to do a year abroad and maybe that'll come with additional expenses that are above and beyond. And working during the summers, Earning money during the summers allowed me to, with some work during the school year, pay for those things. And I think putting that sort of an arrangement out there with your kids is a really good idea and a way to make them feel like they have a vested interest in the process and a vested interest in getting through school on the time frame that you've put out for them. So yeah, I think you've done a great job, Emily. This is wonderful, this gift that you're giving to your kids, but make sure that they have some responsibility too. Rita, the time that we had together just flew. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is an important topic. I'm glad we got to reach out to people. Absolutely. And to everybody who's listening, a big thank you to all of you for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Rita Asaf for sharing her insights on how parents can pay for college and how we can all get to a better, more empowered place when thinking about our college payment strategies. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.